This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, January 26, 2011. I'm Caleb Brown. The president has laid out what he thinks about the State of the Union. Shortly after the address, I sat down with Cato Institute Vice President Gene Healy and Cato Research Fellow Julian Sanchez for a live video chat that was provided on Facebook. The archived video of our discussion is available there. All right. Hello to our friends on uh, Facebook. I'm Caleb Brown. I'm talking now with uh, Vice President of the Cato Institute, Gene Healy, and Research Fellow uh, of the Cato Institute, uh, Julian Sanchez. We've just seen the State of the Union address given by President Barack Obama. And uh, just to jump right into it, the President cast this sort of as winning the future. Uh, and I want to get uh, your guys' opinion on this idea that the Sputnik moment, that is uh, intercontinental ballistic missiles aimed at the United States, uh, relates to our current troubles of a, uh, a sluggish economy and uh, uh, high unemployment. Gene? Yeah, it's not really clear what the uh, equivalent challenge is and uh, why the Sputnik metaphor is a good one, but I guess it's a good one because it argues for historically for a lot of state-led investment. He also made a lot of uh, references to the space program, uh, and I, d I don't think... Uh, our national defense effort in the Cold War really had much to do with American prosperity in the uh, succeeding decades. I mean, we did, out of the space program, we got Tang and a few other good things, but uh, I don't really think that is the uh, what, what should be the driver of the American economy. Julian Sanchez? Yeah, I mean, it was a little troubling. In a lot of ways, I thought Obama was channeling uh, this notion we get uh, from David Brooks of a, a longing for a kind of national greatness mission. Uh, and, and, you know, I think it's telling that there was almost a kind of nostalgia for this time when we lived under this existential threat that mobilized us and brought us together as a nation to do great things, not uh, severally, but as some sort of cohesive unit. Um, and I think, frankly, if he was going to be channeling a New York Times columnist, and I can't believe I'm about to say this, <laughs> I would rather he had channeled Paul Krugman, or at least the Paul Krugman of 1994, who wrote a great little gem of an essay that was uh, reprinted in his book, uh, Pop Internationalism, about why this frame of competitiveness, all as though uh, you, know, you can win the future, as though the United States and China are like Coke and Pepsi competing, rather, you know, as though it is a zero-sum game. Uh, is so dangerous and so misguided and so likely to re lead to, to mistaken policy. Um, and uh, speaking of reframing a lot of things, we were talking beforehand that uh, the president has effectively reframed. Uh, it's gone from stimulus, mm -hmm. and but he can't call it new spending now, so now it's investment. Right. Yeah, there seems to be a lot of, uh, exactly, uh, stimulus has become investment. It's more of a positive term. Uh, uh, he seemed to, at, at certain points to be talking about a, a sort of industrial policy. But, you know, if you take Japan, for example, neither industrial policy or stimulus uh, got them out of their lost decade. And uh, I don't think a similar vision of a state-led recovery is going to do any better for us. I mean, I think the irony here is that if, if, if we're writing sort of the new Obama glossary, uh, government spending is uh, is investment actual investment at least in the context of, of social security is uh, relying on the whims of the stock market now w uh, one of our colleagues Jagadish Gokhale mentioned that uh, uh, talking to him earlier the president basically made almost no mention of social security which mm -hmm. uh, among other things he did and did not talk about 
sort of gives lie to the notion that uh, the austerity measures that he's offered uh, are at all austerity measures. We did mention it in passing. Uh, he said he wanted to, he recognized, I think, honestly, this is a good thing, that even a domestic discretionary spending freeze is a relative drop in the bucket in terms of the long-term deficit that you need to address entitlements if you really want to get uh, the deficit under control. Um, but then he tells us, of course, that we, we want to do this without uh, either, again, relying on the whims of the stock market, which is to say actual investment, um, or slashing benefits, that is any, any of course, again, in the Obama glossary, if you reduce the rate of benefit increase, that is a slash. Um, but the alternative that's left then is pretty much massive uh, uh, tax increases. And so uh, it, it seems that, you know, unsurprisingly for a feel-good speech like the State of the Union, um, he is trying to promise us all good things simultaneously. And at the end of the day, hard choices have to be made. I think any responsible economist knows that, um, you know, if we're actually going to, uh, you know, in a politically realistic way, uh, bring these things into balance. There probably will have to be some uh, kind of tax increase, but but you can't do it all in tax increases. Uh, and that seems to be the, the, the agenda that Obama is setting up if he's ruling out uh, either real investment or any kind of reduction in benefits. Well, it, it isn't seriousness about issues that, uh, that have changed the political landscape, especially in the last year or so, uh, debt and spending. Doesn't that necessitate the State of the Union speech not being quite as cheerful and quite quite as a cheerleading uh, type of moment? Well, he could have come out like uh, Gerald Ford did and uh, say, uh, my friends, the State of the Union is not good. That was one of the few memorable lines that we've had in a modern State of the Union. Uh, this uh, began with mostly the sort of bipartisan pap that uh, has been all the rage uh, on Capitol Hill this week as people have uh, scrambled to find uh, BFFs across the aisle that they can sit next to. Um, but I have to say, as, a, as I went through the speech, as I watched it, the well, line that, uh, one of the few lines that, that stuck out to me was, uh, uh, I guess it was supposed to be a laugh line about how uh, if we build high-speed rail, uh, then, uh, you know, in some cases, the trips, you know, some trips will be faster and you won't get any pat-downs. Uh, it's really not that funny uh, when you think about it. Uh, this is a policy instituted by the Obama administration. It's a policy, uh, it's, the, uh, it's the alternative to, uh, uh, to nude scanning, uh, and neither policy, according to the Government Accountability Office, uh, really... Uh, uh, is a, a sure bet to to uh, to actually protect uh, American flights. Uh, you know, rather than chuckling about uh, an indignity, uh, a useless indignity that his administration has forced uh, Americans who travel to go through. Uh, you know, maybe he could exercise some leadership and uh, get rid of this policy. And it's, it's funny that it, well, one, it's a policy he doesn't have to go through himself, uh, being the president of the United States, and. Uh, couching not having to be subjected to something his administration has implemented as a reason for adopting uh, a multi-billion dollar expensive uh, plan that he would like yeah, to Yeah, rather than uh, rather than stop a stupid policy, let's uh let's uh, crown it with a with an enormously expensive boondoggle in the form of high-speed rail. But, you know, this is par for the course. Hillary Clinton uh, when asked about, you know, would you go through this uh the this the nude scanner uh, 
uh, actually laughed, you know, and she said, no, well, well who would? And, uh, you know, Speaker Boehner, uh, who made a big show out of uh, the fact that he was going to fly commercial, un unlike uh, Nancy, former Speaker Nancy Pelosi, uh, well, he doesn't have to go through the pat-downs either. And I think you're seeing increasingly uh, a separation between what ordinary Americans have to experience as a result of some of these policies and what uh, the, uh, our ostensible leadership has to experience. But in 25 years, the rest of America will get to uh, have high-speed travel without being roped. So just hang on. <laughs> All right. There was a lot of symbolism going into this, and I know President Obama made a bunch of comments about uh, civility. We are an American family. Uh, John Samples rightly asks, well, who are the parents and who are the children <laughs> if, if we are in this, uh, this American family? Um, what of the, having the Supreme Court uh, there last year? The president, of course, uh, lambasted the 5-4 Citizens United decision regarding the First Amendment. Uh, some members of the court were not there uh, this year. Yeah, that was, uh, you know, it occurred to me that if you wanted to change a tradition, there's been a lot this last week about uh, changing the tradition of having partisan seating at the State of the Union. If you really wanted to change a tradition, I think one of the positive things you could do, other than going back to the old tradition, which I'm quite fond of, where uh, uh, for 100 years from Jefferson to Wilson, the president used to just messenger the text of the speech over uh, to Capitol Hill and nobody had to sit there and listen to it. Uh, one of the most positive things you could do is get rid of this, uh, this idea that we ought to have Supreme Court justices there. Uh, last year, you know, when he, uh, in front of, with, with six Supreme Court justices in front of him, denounces, uh, President Obama denounces Citizen, Citizens United, the First Amendment case in which uh, the government's uh, attorney actually admitted in oral argument that their legal theory would allow the banning of books. Uh, President Obama denounced the justices to their face, to their faces, um, and uh, it was really kind of an unpleasant moment. And it, it, I really, I, I think, if you want to change something about the seating, uh, encourage the justices to stay home because they're supposed to be a politically neutral uh, bulwark of our liberties, and they really shouldn't be there uh, to be hectored from the podium uh, for partisan purposes. Speaking of symbolism, you notice that even uh, President Obama's tie was a bipartisan purple, a fusion of red and blue. <laughs> I think it was, it was very inspiring as, as the national dad for him to set that example for all of us. Purple is the color of winning the future. Yes. <laughs> you know, at least when people talk you know, on, on, on Twitter or whatever about winning the Internet, they realize it's a joke. Um, it's really disturbing. You know, there's this vision where, where our goal is to win the future. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, I would, couldn't we just be made of win? <laughs> uh, there was no mention of, of guns in this speech. I was, uh, and that was actually uh, fairly surprising to me that there was not some, at least, uh, something to placate perhaps the Obama base that, well, we need to, we need to ramp up some, some something about uh, dealing with gun violence. Well, I, I think that. Uh, the lesson learned from the 2000 election, there's at least some evidence that uh, uh, Al Gore uh, suffered some, some in some key states uh, by making gun control more of an issue. And I think the uh, Democrats have internalized that lesson. 
And I think there's a real reluctance to, uh, I mean, you had uh, President o or candidate Obama on the campaign trail uh, endorse the, uh, the Heller decision, which was not something you'd expect uh, from him necessarily. But uh, I think there's a real reluctance to, uh, to push any kind, of, any kind of gun control. And, uh, well, as a supporter of the Second Amendment, that, that's, uh, that's fine with me. Mm -hmm. I think that's all right. And also as a purely rhetorical matter, uh, insofar as Obama was leveraging uh, the Tucson shooting uh, to try and build support for this idea of, of, of unity and bipartisanship, which in practice means, uh, you know, sort of Republicans agree to tweak at the edges of, uh, of the agenda that he's advancing, um, that's sort of rhetorically incompatible with at the same time using that as a springboard to talk about uh, a divisive issue that is, again, uh, I think, uh, an electoral loser for, for Democrats, as they've recognized. Uh, Paul Ryan delivered the uh, Republican response, and uh, most of it was uh, things that, you know, uh, libertarians and certainly uh, conservatives like to hear about spending restraint and actually having some sort of uh, functional uh, plan for, for getting there. My question then is, uh, Republicans have scrupulously avoided offering mm -hmm. exactly the kind of thing that Paul Ryan has in a big binder ready to go. What, is that, what does that do when you have somebody like a, a Paul Ryan uh, delivering this kind of response? Well, it's an interesting choice and kind of a surprising one because when we're talking about bipartisanship and the allegedly vast difference between the parties, mm -hmm. uh, when you think about it, uh, so in this speech, uh, President Obama mostly stayed clear of where the meat of the federal budget is. Uh, you don't get out of the crisis we're, we're facing without cutting benefits to middle class people who vote. Uh, you don't get out of it by uh, uh, non-defense discretionary spending, which is, you know, somewhere between 15 and 12 percent of the budget. Um, Paul Ryan is uh, an exception to that. He's someone who actually, with uh, his roadmap plan, has begun to, to lay out some plans for uh, actually tackling those parts of the, the, uh, the federal budget, Medicare, Medicaid, and, and Social Security. So it's an interesting, in some ways, promising choice. Um, some other aspects uh, it, in, the, in recent months... Uh, have been less promising. Uh, you know, what comes to mind is uh, uh, Kevin McCarthy, one of the uh, the the California representative who's one of the young guns, the so-called young guns, and uh, one of the drafters of the uh, GOP pledge, uh, was asked on MSNBC if he could name a program that he'd cut, and he couldn't. Uh, same thing with uh, Speaker Boehner uh, uh, Mike a Pence. week or two ago. And uh, you really ought to have uh, a program or two or three or a cabinet department or three uh, at the ready uh, that you're willing to cut if you're serious about this. Well, I think Obama had one. He said he was going to community, I don't remember what it was. He had named some. What was it about salmon? Uh, <laughs> the salmon regulation. Is no, that was unifying it yeah. under one, one, one department. Right. Which is, let's say, there's a, there was a handful of things I think we can say, you know, so to not to be totally critical, a handful of good things in there. Uh, cut subsidies for oil, uh, simplify the tax code, uh, which would allow uh, lowering the corporate tax rate, consolidating government agencies, so 
you know, whatever regulation there is is at least more sane and uniform, greater transparency, more information online, immigration reform. Um, so these are all, I think, uh, things that, that sound good to me and that, um, you know, Republicans should, should you, know, uh, at, you know, assume they think Obama is serious about those things and, uh, and, uh, and challenge him to, to, to follow through on them. Unfortunately, cut the cutting subsidies to oil was in the same paragraph in which he says, well, we need to spend a lot more on this other form of energy. Right. Uh, but uh, it's, it's good, to, good that we can point to at least a, a few positive things. I think that uh, we're getting some hand signals. I guess that's about uh, where we're going to wrap up here. Uh, thanks for joining us. Leave some comments and, and let us know uh, how we've done here and uh, what you'd like to see uh, from this forum uh, in the future. You can follow the Cato Institute on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube, and you can read more work from Gene Healy and Julian Sanchez at our website, cato.org.